Jesus said in Matthew 28 verse 19, Go therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Welcome to Go Teach All Nations, bringing you Christ's teachings through Australian and international speakers. And here is today's presenter, Pastor Tapiwa Mutsuriwa. This morning, we want to tackle the question of evil. In the afternoon, maybe I might not get the chance to introduce the afternoon, so let me do it now. In the afternoon, the question we are going to try and tackle is that if God is love, why is there so much evil? Now, I know that this is a question that you might have grappled with and found answers. But this afternoon, we're going to take a different, a different direction because we are going to question the question itself. We are going to, we are going to put the question to test. I got a cue from my nephew. My nephew had written his year 12, you call it year 12 here, back home we call it A-levels. And he had not come out well. Now he was in the habit of texting me messages on WhatsApp when he wanted things, he would say, uncle, I need this and that and I'll text. But when the results came out, he never texted me, he didn't say anything. And I was beginning to wonder, I could read from, from, from um, the news back home that the results for A-levels or for year 12 had come out, but he was silent this time. And I said, hey, young man, what's going on? I haven't, um, what, how, how, did you, how did you do? And he said, uncle, they say I failed. And I said, you say, they say I failed, what do you say? And then he says, my answers were correct, the questions were wrong. <laughs> Just maybe, this young man has a point. Could it be possible that we try to answer questions that need to be interrogated first before we answer them? So this afternoon, before we answer the question, why is there so much evil if God is love? Could it be possible that this question needs for us to question it? To really, could it be a, a wrong question? Let's, let's have fun with that in the afternoon. But this morning, the question is, not so much if God is love, but the question this morning is, why is there so much evil? A lot of the material that I'm going to share with you, I've shared with you before, but we are taking a di slightly different direction in, in this journey. Why is there so much evil? Uh, on the screen is a picture of a young lady on your right. This young lady was alive two weeks ago. She was participating in the activities of her university only two weeks ago. She walked from one place, going back to a university room, where she was waylaid by a young man. We don't quite know whether she knew this young man or not. I don't have that information. But she went missing for close to 10 days. Only the beginning of this week was she found dead because that young man had killed her. Innocent, defenseless, 
A friend of hers posted a question on Facebook around Wednesday, and the question was, why is there so much evil in the world that we are living? About six years ago, I walked into a room, into a, into a hospital room. The room was dark. It appeared as if there was no one, but there was a man on the hospital bed. And I introduced myself and I said, I am the chaplain. And he said, like the pastor? And I said, yes. I said, sorry, I don't do God. And I said, well, we are not always here for God. We are mostly here for you. And we started talking, him and I. We got to know each other over a period of six, six weeks in which I did not introduce the topic, of, of the topic about God because he had said, I don't do. But we talked about things. At one point in time, I was called by the nurses because they had seen that we had made a connection over cars. Because in the morning, he had thrown things around in a fit of rage. When I walked in, I said, and I'm using a different name, that's not his name. I said, Michael, what's going on? He said, why is there so much evil? And see what had happened that morning. He had seen some pictures on TV of young children in Somalia dying of hunger. Though the World Health Organization was sending food and dropping food by aeroplanes, the rebels in Somalia, in this particular region, they would get the food first before the children could get the food. And these children were dying of hunger. And this man, as he looked at this, he just could not understand why there's so much evil. These rebels, they have money, they have everything, they can buy guns, they can buy food. Why wouldn't they just let the children have access to food? That's the reason why he was angry. Fired time, I was going to tell you of Kevin Carter. Kevin Carter was a South African journalist, a photographer. I don't know whether you know this guy. He is no more, he's let. Let me tell you this story. He went to the same region that I'm just talking about. World Health Organization is sending food there. He had gone there to take photos. As he was going to this region, he found the picture of this young child. I don't know whether you can see this child from, your, from, your, from, from, from where you are sitting. With the last ounce of power in this little boy's muscles, he was trying to make it to a feeding point. Kevin Carter looked at the boy and said, maybe he needs some help. Maybe I could go over and, and carry him on, on my own arms and take him a mile away to the feeding point. And then Kevin Carter reasoned with his, with his mind and said, what if he has diseases? And then I contract this disease. Then he led that child then he went away. The journalists that came later, they found that this baby had been killed by vultures. Kevin Carter questioned himself when he went back home to South Africa. 
Could there have been something that I could have done? And Kevin Carter killed himself. Question I'm asking this morning is why is there so much evil? Let's start our journey with this man called Steve Taylor. I read Steve Taylor in a magazine called Psychology Today. He has a title of, um, of, um, of his article called The Real Meaning of Good and Evil. The Real Meaning of Good and Evil. This is what he says. He says, most of us lie, most of us, that is including you and I. We lie somewhere between the extremes of Gandhi and Hitler. You see, for, for, for Steve, for Steph Taylor, Gandhi seems to be the epitome of human goodness. And, and um, Hitler seems to portray the worst of humankind. Therefore, he says, he says, most of us, we are somewhere there in that continuum between Gandhi and Hitler. Some of us very close to Hitler, and some others closer to, to Gandhi, on the spectrum of human behavior. Then he says, sometimes we may behave badly. Here is what he says. When selfish, uses the word egocentric, when selfish impulses cause us to put our needs before the welfare of others. So it seems to me, for this guy, for this psychologist, we are at our worst, especially when we put our needs before the needs of others. When we strive for mastery, when we strive to get things, we step on other people's shoulders to go up high on the food chain. That's where the worst of humankind comes. That's where evil begins. I don't know whether you agree with him. To some extent, to a large extent, I want to agree with him. In fact, what he is talking about here is a principle called selfishness. So for him, selfishness is one extreme end, but he's not finished yet. He then says, sometimes we behave saintly when empathy and compassion impel us to put our needs, to put the needs of others before our own. As if he is saying, or he is saying, we are at our best when we think of others first before we consider ourselves. A principle that we want to call this morning selflessness. What Steph is saying to us this morning is that there are two poles on one end, we have selfishness. And on the other end, we have selflessness. Let's forgive him and say, for him, on the selflessness end, there are people like Gandhi and, and uh, what's that other Catholic mother? What is she called? Mother Teresa the people that are, are known to be selfless. But on the other end, there are these tyrants um, that have gone out into the world and killed people like, like Hitler, and we could mention a number of them that think of themselves first and others last. 
So he says, sometimes when we are at our best, we behave like saints. When kindness and empathy and compassion help us to put the needs of others before our own. In fact, don't you think this spells what we call love? So selflessness goes with love. And selfishness goes with harming others. Evil is best described by the fight between selflessness and selfishness, love and harm. That's good and evil. My friends, these two poles, they're in a bloody war. Pardon my French, but it is really bloody. It is. Revelation chapter 12. Would you read with me the book of Revelation chapter 12? Some of the words that capture this war and where the war began are found in Revelation chapter 12, and the verse is 7. For those that are following on our pew Bibles, Revelation chapter 12, and the verse is 7, is found on page 11, 1182. If you are there, please say amen. Then war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. Let us pray. Father, even as we speak, the enemy is fighting, and evil is fighting good. Without you, we are nothing. It is only you who can give us power. Even as we share this, we solicit your help and your power and your strength and your selflessness and your kindness and your empathy. This is our prayer this morning in Jesus' name, amen. A few weeks ago, a few months ago, I shared that I'm a child of war. I grew up between two sides that were fighting using AK-47s and using um, the machine guns. These two, they, they sound differently. In this war that began in heaven before the world was created, the war that broke out between the dragon and Michael, what kind of weaponry could have been used? It is a war that was between Michael and the dragon. And the Bible tells us, if you are still there in Revelation chapter 12, please let's go, go back to Revelation chapter 12. Let's hear who the dragon is. Let's hear who the dragon is. Revelation chapter 12. Now we go on to verse, to verse 9. What verse are we on now? Verse 9. Revelation chapter 12, and the verse is 9. It says, it says, So the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old called the devil and Satan. So who is the dragon? It is the devil or Satan. So instead of using the word dragon, now we're going to be using the devil or Satan. So what did the devil use in this war between himself and Michael? 
I just want to take you on this journey so that you understand. In the book of Isaiah, this war that started in heaven before the earth was created, we pick up this piece of information. It says, how have you fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How have you been cut down to the ground, you who influenced people to sin? That is Isaiah 14, verse 12 to 15. As we continue reading this text, it says, For you have said, this is how Lucifer fell, for you have said in your heart, listen to how he did it, I will rise into heaven. I will lift my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also on the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. The author of this text is speaking his words deliberately. He keeps on repeating by, in his choice of diction, in his choice of grammar, he keeps on repeating one particular pronoun. It is first person singular. I, I, I. He goes on to say on the next verse, and I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make, I will be like the most high. Does this sound like what Steph was explaining to us? That when we put our needs first ahead of other people's needs, I will do this. I, I want to ascend. It doesn't matter what it costs, so long as it pleases me, so long as, as I have pleasure. That young man looked at this young lady and said, it doesn't matter to me what it means for this young lady, so long as I please my body, I'm just going to do what I want with her. And the young man raped her and after. He, there is words that are captured as, as soon as he is um, as he's arrested by the police. They ask him, how did you do it? He says, wow. This young lady, it took me a long time to kill her. She just couldn't die. So long as he pleased himself, it didn't matter. I will do this. I will. So long as I want to do it and I enjoy doing it, it doesn't matter how you feel about it. This is the principle that is working within the devil, and this is the principle of evil. The principle of evil starts at selfishness. Doesn't matter to me how you feel about what I'm doing, so long as I am enjoying it. Then the Bible says, you shall be brought down to hell. It's not only Isaiah who gives us this picture of the first rebellion in heaven. Ezekiel 2 in chapter 28, he gives us a bit of insight as to what happened that day. He says, thus says the Lord God, you, Lucifer, devil, Satan, you were the seal of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. As if to say to us, as, as, as Ezekiel is writing this, as if to say to us that God did not create the devil. God created a perfect individual, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden. The garden of God, every precious stone was your covering. The sedias, the topaz, the diamond, the beryl, the awnings, the jasper, the sapphire, the turquoise, all these precious, precious stones, they made you. Your workmanship of timbrels and pipes was prepared for you. you. You were made to make beautiful music on the day that you were created. Uh-uh, he was a created being. Are you there with me? Though he said, I want to be like the creator, what is he? 
He's a creature. This reminds me of the words of the devil in the Garden of Eden when he comes to Adam and Eve. Did God say to you, if you eat, God knows that on the day that you eat, you will be like the Most High. Temptation starts right there when we want to be lifted, when we want to get high. Hello? When we want to be lifted from this, from this normal sphere of existence into another realm of existence, right there, that's where temptation lies. The devil knew it, that as soon as we wish, as soon as we begin to think about ourselves first, we are on our way down. Workmanship of your timbrels and pipes was prepared for you on the day that you were created. You were the anointed cherub who covers. God then says, I established you. You were on the holy mountain of God. You walked back and forth in the midst of fiery storms. You were perfect in your ways from the day that you were created. You were not only perfect in nature, but you were perfect in your doings. Can I stop right there? Just for a moment. This was not a human doing. This was a being. Perfect in being, therefore he did perfectly. Hold on to that thought. We'll come back to it some other time. Your rich commerce led you to violence and you sinned. Your heart was filled with what? Because of all your beauty, your wisdom was corrupted by your love of splendor. I don't know how to say this, but please understand that this is coming from a heart that is full of love. A young lady growing up in our village, she was beautiful. Everyone exclaimed that she was pretty. And she had these words that you are beautiful, you are beautiful. By the time she turned 18, these words got into her head. And she lost her way. Only the other day I got a message that she has died of HIV AIDS. Evil somehow starts from those beautiful things that God has given us, those beautiful blessings that God has given us. When we take them and uplift them and use them for selfish reasons, right there at that, right, at that place, evil is beginning to start. Did God create the devil? No. Think of a mother. How many of you mothers would agree with me that as you hold that little baby in your hands, you have the best wishes for that little one? You hope 
uh, she's going to, or he's going to help humanity. He's going to do something great. But you will hear soon that he or she has killed someone. Could we say you gave birth to a murderer? Or the child chose at some other point in time to be a murderer? The devil, when the devil used freedom of choice to be like the creator, though he were a created being, he transformed himself from being a good. Now hear this, he transformed himself when he used this freedom of choice to be like the creator, though he were a created being, he transformed himself from being good to an evil angel. This is how evil is formed. The devil had an eye problem. I mean eye problem. And that's the problem we have as human beings too. I, 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 I. Evil seed is beginning right there. That's why Lucifer, right at the center, some have said, some have observed, right at the center of Lucifer is I, at the center of pride is I, at the center of sin is I. My friends, this morning, the question of evil is not with God. It's with humanity. The devil's weapons of mass destruction were pride, self-centeredness, selfishness, meanness, violence, and bullying, and pain, causing pain to others. Now, the Bible articulates this principle of self-centeredness in the devil in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 3 to 7. Please open your Bibles with me so that, I can, so that we can read together. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and the verses 3 to 7. Second Thessalonians, if you are in the Old Testament, you are a little lost. We, the three T's of the New Testament are together. Thessalonians and Timothy and Titus. Chapter 3. You are there? Let me read. From verse 3. Let me start by giving a bit of background. Paul has received a letter from this church at Thessalonica. We don't know exactly what the inquiry was. We can only reproduce the inquiry from the, from the response. We don't have the letter that the Thessalonians wrote. But we can reconstruct what it is that they were inquiring about. It would appear somebody had come after Paul had preached at this church. And this person was beginning to say, well, the end of the world has come and Jesus is coming in a few days or in a few weeks, in a few months. We don't quite know. Now Paul is responding that, please don't be told lies. That day is not coming. This has to happen first. Now let's pick it up from there. Chapter 2, 2 Thessalonians, verse 3. 
Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first. And the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself. Did you hear that? Who does what? Opposes and exalts himself. Is it me? I'm trying to behave. Who opposes? I've just lost my, my text. Verse 4, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that is God. Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? Now you know what is restraining him. Let me quick, quickly go to verse 7. For this mystery of iniquity is already at work. Let me explain. Paul says, hey, don't worry about this thing that the day of the Lord or the coming of Jesus is, is close by. Before that day comes, there is going to happen what happened in the, in the beginning. What happened, the principle that worked with the devil is going to work again on this earth. It is this principle where a created being will seek to exalt itself or exalt himself so that he sits in the temple of God as if it was what? As if he was God. So this principle of self-exaltation, this principle of selfishness is going to be at work again just before Jesus comes. Then Paul on verse 7 gives us the name of the principle. He says it is called the mystery of iniquity. Let me rephrase it. It is called the mystery of evil. Now this word mystery means something that our minds cannot really conjure up. We try to understand it, but we can't get the ins and the outs of it. How could an individual created in perfection, living in, in God's glory, how did evil come into his mind? How did it happen? Human mind cannot really understand it. It's a mystery. So this, this thing that is prevalent with humanity of self-exaltation, of thinking of ourselves first, it doesn't matter to me how you feel about what I'm saying to you. This thing is a mystery because that's not what God created us to be. No, no. God created us for service. Let, let me get closer to you. I feel a little bit far away from you. Have you ever been there? It happened to me a few, week, a few months ago. I'm crossing the road. And a little old lady is crossing too. She has her stroller. That green man has shown on the traffic light. But she's taking her time. I'm a little younger, and I just jump across the street. Then I look back, I see her struggling to cross the road. She drops her purse. For some reason, she had a purse under her armpit. But then it drops down. Now she is trying to go down and pick it up. Then the red man comes on. 
it's in my full view. I'm rushing somewhere, and then I say, it was, it was a bad morning for me. I have no time to explain to you what was going on, but it was really, my morning had been bad, and I was just stressing. I said, okay, stop, Tapi, stop, 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 just. And then I jump back, I become a traffic cop, lift up my, 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 my right hand, and I command with authority for the traffic to stop. Well, the guy who is in front actually understands what's going on. He, he, to, he beckoned me with his hands, take your time. Don't rush it. I'm going to stop until you finish what you're doing. He was a good guy. I go there. I pick the, 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 the purse, help the old lady across the road. When I go to the other side, she looks back at me. She says, and there I was thinking there were no more gentlemen in this world. Do you know what? That was the end of my stressful morning. <laughs> now I know what happened. Talking about it chemically and psychologically. Some, some hormones, some hormones began to, to be poured into my bloodstream. And I began, what do you call them, endorphins? I began to feel good. I don't know what I'm supposed to do with this. Okay, put it there. I began to feel good again. Let me tell you why I began to feel good. I did not need a drug for me to go high to feel better again. All I needed, I was created for service, for selflessness. Once you begin to be selfless, there is something about the human psyche that feels good about selflessness. Because that's what we're created to do. It is a mystery to the angels of heaven. It is a mystery to God that we stop saving others. Because God created us to save. Evil starts when we forget to save others. When we look at others and see them as objects that we can step on as we strive for mastery, as we try to get to the top of the food chain, that's where evil begins. It is not with God. It is with men that is stepping on others, saying bad stuff to others. My dad said, you know the principle of bullying? It's this guy who's feeling bad about himself, who's trying to lift them up, themselves up by putting others down. This is where evil begins. What did Paul call it? Mystery of iniquity. My friends, good means a lack of self-centeredness. It means the ability to empathize with, with other people, to feel compassion for them. These are the principles that are at war. And to put others, this is what Steph said. He said, to put their needs before your own. It means, if necessary, sacrificing your own well-being for the sake of others. It means benevolence, altruism, selflessness, self-sacrifice towards a greater cause. Sometimes we behave saintly when we do this. The problem with humanity is we waver. The best of us waver between this selflessness and sometimes we are selfish and we, we are like a yo-yo. Sometimes we are down, sometimes we are up. But the epitome of this selflessness is found in a little baby that was born in, in Bethlehem one day. His name is called Jesus. He's the one who is truly selfless. If selflessness is goodness, 
Therefore, the war that we saw in the beginning, the war between Michael and the dragon, as we see the dragon being selfish, the epitome of goodness, of selflessness, is with this Michael. Uh, let me just show you in a moment who this Michael is. I'm just going to flash through this because Pastor Andrew preached this sermon recently. I was not here. I saw it. I just saw, saw the thing on Facebook where he preached this, and he did a wonderful job to it. So I'm just going to give you highlights of it. This is Pastor Andrew's stuff. I'm just, I'm just summarizing it. Who is Michael? The Hebrew word means he who is like God. In fact, it means he who is God. The Bible says there's an archangel. Archangel does not mean that he's an angel. The word arch is, is, is Greek for ruler. So he's the ruler of the angels. He's a great prince who fights for God's people. His voice resurrects. Last time I checked, nobody else can resurrect but Jesus. I'm trying to say to you, Michael is Jesus' name when he goes to war. While we have seen the devil's weapons of mass destruction, Jesus' weapons of mass construction, here they are. Bible tells us in Philippians chapter 2 and the verses 6 to 8, as we go towards the end, this is what the Bible says. Though he was God, Michael means he who is, though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. I wish I could just scroll back to this slide, to this slide here. What is goodness? Good means a lack of what? Of Self-centeredness, it means the ability to empathize with other people, to feel compassion for them. Here it is, to put their needs before your own. It means, if necessary, sacrificing your own well-being for the sake of others. I want to tell Steph, Steph Taylor, I want to tell Steph Taylor that the best is not Mother Teresa or Gandhi. It is Jesus. How do I know this? Because the Bible says in Philippians, though he was what? He did not think of equality with God as something that he could cling to. What did he do? Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. What's one word for that? Selflessness. He gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. Oh, my friends, please see what is happening here. The devil, a created being, wants to exalt himself to be like what? Jesus, the creator, humbles himself to be like the what? Do you see what is happening here? These are two opposing principles He humbled himself in obedience to God and died the criminal's death on the cross for the sake of others. This is the epitome of goodness. Jesus' weapons of mass construction is humility, selflessness, gentleness, kindness, goodness. My friends, did you know that to be good, to be humble, to be submissive, it's actually power. It's not being a doormat. Ah, oh, let me get closer to you one more time. 
the world as we speak. Christ is winning this world. He is not using the devil's tactics. He's using submission. He's using love. He's using gentleness. I am saying to you, those virtues, kindness, gentleness, husbands, are you with me? Those virtues are not you losing power. They are actually powerful weapons that we can use to win others. It is weapons of being selfless, of putting others first. When we do that, we find happiness. In fact, a lot of questions of meaning. My friends, try it sometimes. Well, you may need to deck this with your doctor. As my friend said in the morning, but don't take it from me. You might need to consult with your doctor. But you might end up going off a lot of tablets when you start sharing yourself with others because this dopamine chemical begins to be poured into your blood as you take yourself out. Sometimes I've seen this for myself. I'm speaking specifically from experience. I find myself beginning to lose it, you know, getting into depression when I'm thinking about myself too much and I'm, one, I'm being self-centered, I find that it just doesn't work. I get stressed, I get stressed. But when I think of others, there's a few times, it's not many times, but the few times that I put others first, I find that there's joy that flows within me. My heart wells up with, with, with joy and happiness when I think, those few moments when I think of my wife first, I get happy. I don't know whether it's because she's responding to that. When I think of myself first, she's not happy, and I can tell you that I'm not happy too. Every husband here knows what I'm talking about. If you are not married, you may not know what I'm talking about. These virtues, they spell this word, love. Love is a doing word. Love is humility. Love is selflessness. Love is gentleness. It's kindness. It's goodness. The Jesus weapons of mass construction. They have, it's a principle too that we want to look at this morning. It's found in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and the verses 16 as we close. 1 Timothy chapter 3 and the verses 16. If you were in Thessalonians, you just need to flip a page over. Then you are in 1 Timothy. Are you there? This is how it reads. And without controversy, Great is the mystery of godliness. God who was manifest in the flesh. I want to stop right there. God, the creator, is manifest in the flesh as a created being. What is that called? The mystery of godliness. The devil's principle is the mystery of of iniquity. But Jesus' principle is called the mystery of this, this principle of him reducing himself, of humbling himself, of him submitting himself, of him being kind and gentle. It is called the mystery of God. How does God become a human being? My friends, the more human beings get off the high horse, the more we are going to see goodness in this world. 
going to skip that slide. While God exhibits the power of love, the devil exhibits the love of power. The devil wanted God's power without his character. That is the problem. Human beings want power, but not God's character. And that is the beginning of evil. My friends, the truth is that God is love. With him, there is no evil. The devil intends to harm and intends evil for you and I. In fact, John 10.10 10 says, the thief comes only to steal and to kill and to destroy. But once God wants good for you. says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. There is no evil with God. All evil comes from the one who intends to harm us. He's the thief. In fact, the whole text says, the thief comes in John 10, 10. The thief comes only to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. What do I do? I am selfless. I lay down my life for my sheep. That is the epitome of good. My friends, there are two roads, and that calls for a choice. And he says, I call for heaven, in Deuteronomy 30, verse, verse 19, I call for heaven and earth. Let it be a witness that I've put in front of you, life and death, the good and the evil. So choose life, choose good, choose selflessness, choose gentleness, you and your children after you, so that you and your children and those that come after you may live. Friends, it's your choice. There are two roads. There are two roads. There are going to be children of God that are going to follow goodness. Doesn't mean they will not have harm happening upon them because the enemy is still out there. But they will persistently choose good. Persistently choose good that is found in Christ. In fact, Christ has already done it for them. All they need is to accept the goodness of Christ. And when that happens, Christ is going to begin to leave that goodness within himself. Which road are you going to choose? I thought this is a good place to begin as we explore the meaning of life, as we explore the difference between good and evil. This right here is the beginning of evil. But you and I have a choice which side we want to take. And God bless you. I want to pray with you now. And Pastor Andrew is going to come up front in a while. Let us pray. Father in heaven, this afternoon, you have put in our hearts to explore the origins of good and evil. That principle of selflessness, that principle of putting others before ourselves, principle of serving, of gentleness and kindness, this principle that run the government of heaven. Oh, Father, we know that we cannot do this for ourselves. But one thing we know is that in our pursuit of happiness, 
the few moments we have tried to be selfless, we have had a sage of happiness within us that we cannot explain. When we have helped those that are in need. Father, how it would be like if you helped us to always live a life of thinking of others first. In our words, in our actions. Those especially that live closest to us, our families. Father, I pray that you may help us to live selfless lives. Because the more we become selfless, the more evil is going to be destroyed. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. This message was made available by Hoxton Park Seventh-day Adventist Church. For more resources like this, visit their Facebook page, Hoxton Park SDA Church. That is Hoxton, H-O-X-T-O-N, Park SDA Church. Hello, I'm Casey Butler and I want to talk to you today about weeds, walls and want. What was that you said? Weeds, walls and want. It's something that King Solomon observed and talked about. Now, who was King Solomon? Well, he was the son of King David in the Bible and he was given special wisdom by God. So much of it that throughout history he is known as the wisest man who ever lived. Solomon's life is characterized by in his early days being someone who was very faithful and true to God but he eventually turned right away from God in his life and then only towards the end of his life did he come back to God. He learnt a lot throughout his life. He wrote a number of books and he wrote also an extensive number of proverbs. Apparently he spoke 3,000 of them and many of them are recorded in the Bible in the book of Proverbs. It's interesting what a proverb actually is and the Oxford Dictionary defines it as a short well-known pithy saying that expresses a general truth or piece of advice and we are going to actually look at one of Solomon's proverbs a little bit later. Solomon was very observant. You can tell from what he writes about that he observed many things in nature, you know, animals, um, agriculture, insects, the weather. He also observed things like tools and work. He observed the human body. He observed human behavior and relationships and wrote about and learned many lessons and important things about um, what he saw. And this brings us to when one day Solomon observed weeds, walls, and want. And it stood out to him so much that he recorded what he saw and then wrote what he learned from it. And we find this in Proverbs chapter 24, verse 30 to 34. And it says this, I went by the field of the slothful and by the vineyard of a man void of understanding. And lo, it was all 
grown over with thorns, and nettles had covered the face thereof, and the stone wall thereof was broken down. Then I saw, and considered it well, I looked upon it and received instruction. Yet a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to sleep. So shall thy poverty come as one that traveleth, and thy want as an armed man. Well, that's what he saw and that's what he learned from it. How did Solomon determine that this man was slothful? He says he went by the field of the slothful. Well, it seems plain that he he worked that out based on what he saw the condition of the man's living quarters were. You know, it's place all covered with weeds and the wall was in disrepair. And just based on that, the fact that it was so unkempt, he was able to determine that this man who lived at this place was slothful. And what else does he say? He says void of understanding. That means without understanding. This man had, you know, just didn't quite understand what was really important in life. So what did he think about all of this that he saw? Well, he wrote a lesson carefully. And what did he say? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to sleep. So I guess in today's terms, we could think of this as, oh, a little bit of laziness here, a little bit of Uh, procrastination or um, just carelessness here and there yeah doesn't matter too much that's what would be the attitude that he is trying to um, convey and he is saying that eventually this kind of attitude will eventually catch up on a person he says so shall thy poverty come as one that traveleth now if people if someone's traveling and they just happen to turn up at your place you would say that that came fairly unexpectedly wouldn't you so it seems like he's saying that when we when we have these habits of i don't know a bit of carelessness here a bit of carelessness there laziness here and there eventually trouble's going to end up catching up on us and it's going to come rather suddenly in a way that we don't expect and then he says also that thy want or thy thy poverty would come as an armed man now an armed man is someone who has a weapon and so and obviously then has the potential to do harm so we would think then that the poverty that comes or the trouble that comes to someone like this will actually harm them and you can you can imagine that if this man's house was all covered with weeds and if it's all covered with weeds probably food crops wouldn't have been growing so well so he may this this slothful man may well have gone hungry and that would have done him harm so that's how well that's just a, an ob- obvious example of how it could do this man harm so what can we learn from this about today how how can we apply this lesson in today's living culture well let's think about our homes our rooms where we live do you think if Solomon came by your place today would it look like the lazy man's field bits and pieces unkempt everywhere and 
looking like it hadn't been touched for an awfully long time? Or is your place in order and organized and the impression that people see when they look on it is, oh, that place is well, well kept and up to date. What about your work habits? Do you, you know, miss bits here and there and maybe leave some jobs unfinished here and there and it just all seems to go like that in terms of your work ethic? What about wasting a bit of time here and there? Just being a bit careless in terms of how we spend our time. These kind of habits, according to Solomon, they can get us into trouble when we least expect because they all just add up on each other. You know, it's interesting that Solomon's little proverb here, his lesson that he learned from this experience about um, the lazy man, it's actually repeated in the book of Proverbs in another chapter. It's actually repeated in chapter 6. And it's in the context he's talking about the ant, where it says, Go to the ant, thou sluggard, consider her ways and be wise, which having no guide, overseer or ruler, provideth her meat in the summer and gathereth her food in the harvest. So here Solomon has observed the ant and he sees how industrious and persevering the ant is. He doesn't waste any time. He just sets his mind on the task that it has to do and just keeps working hard till it's accomplished. And then there's no poverty for the ant because he has meat for himself in the summer and food in the harvest. And Solomon gives that as an example of what we can do instead of the lazy man and what he did. So I encourage you to think about your life, think about your habits, and think about whether they're more similar to the lazy man with his weeds, walls, and want, or whether they're more like the ant with its diligent industriousness. And wherever you find yourself to be, Go for the ant. God bless. Thanks for listening. This program has been brought to you by 3ABN Australia Radio.